You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. For those who are visiting with us today, we're really glad that you are here. We have been uh, walking through the parables in Matthew chapter 13 for a few weeks now, and uh, we've reached uh, the end of that chapter, verses 47 through 52. Uh, we've, we've looked at six parables so far, the parable of the sower, uh, the parable of the weeds, uh, the parable of the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great value, and this morning we're going to look at the parable of the fishing net. This is also a parable that is unique to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, that is, the other Gospel writers did not include it, but Matthew does. So let's give our attention uh, to this parable this morning. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. And uh, we do pray that our eyes would be turned heavenward to you. It is very easy to be drawn in and distracted by all the things of the world. But Lord, this, this world is headed to an end. Your kingdom is here. Your kingdom is coming and your kingdom will be. So, Lord, may we adjust our lives to you as our king. And I pray that you would use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that makes the parables so effective is that they make truth concrete for us to see and understand. Parables use earthly stories and analogies to make powerful spiritual truth. We may not understand the concept of, of spreading the gospel, but we can certainly picture and, and get a better grip of it by seeing that man sowing the seed in the, in the field. In the parable of the fishing net, in just a few brief sentences here, Jesus says the most important thing that could be said in, regarding the kingdom of, of heaven. The most important truth. The thing that matters more than anything else was just a simple metaphor. He reminds us of the most important decision one will ever make. That is following Jesus and entering the kingdom of God. And the, the eternal consequences of not doing so, Jesus says, 
uh, are enormous. Maybe you came today worried about uh, something that needs to be done before the day is over with. Uh, maybe uh, you have a job interview this week that you're concerned about. Maybe as a student, you're trying to finish up a project before the end of the, the year. Maybe you have a decision that you're struggling with concerning your health uh, or your job or your family. And I don't mean this in any way to make light of those decisions of what you are worried about, but I can tell you that a hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter is whether or not you're saved. And Jesus in this parable is highlighting that the single fundamental issue and decision that, that we face in, in life, and, and the stakes could not be higher because of the dreadful possibility of being eternally lost. This is a parable that's similar to the, the parable that we looked at of the weeds just a few verses before this. Both of these parables remind us that though we are in a season of, of time right now where both believers and non-believers are existing together, we're in a season of sowing, of influencing, proclaiming the gospel, and, and a time to embrace the gospel if you have not done so, to trust in Christ. Both parables remind us that an end is coming. In the parable of the weeds, Jesus calls it the harvest, the end of the age, verse 39. Here in our text, verse 47, it's pictured as a large net, a dragnet that is thrown into the sea to gather fish. The Historians uh, estimate that some of these nets covered about a half mile in length. And uh, one of the large end of the net was attached to the, the shore, the other end attached to a boat. And as the boat would leave the shore, he would drag that net out into uh, the lake, the sea. It had floats on the top, anchors on the bottom. It would create essentially a wall. He would make a complete circle. He would drag that net and they would, they would catch everything uh, in that circle. And when the boat returned, they would pull the net ashore and sort the fish. Verse 48, when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. A simple picture, but Jesus says, this is a picture of how the end of the age is going to come. Verse 49, so it will be, he says, at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in the place there will be in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So just as the weeds and the wheat were separated at the harvest, it's a similar picture here. The good fish and the bad are going to be separated. Separated at the judgment. Notice there's only two categories here. There's no in between. That there's, at the harvest, you're going to be in one category or the other. The wheat represented the believers, as we talked about, but here they're represented by the good fish, believers, the righteous. Righteous not because of something that they've done in and of themselves, and that's really important to remember. Righteous only because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're not good because... Uh, they have good works. They are good because they have believed the gospel. They have embraced Jesus as the king of their lives. No one is good on their own. No one is good enough to get into heaven. 
No one is righteous, the Bible says, but for our sake, God made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, those who are receiving Jesus, repenting of their sins, submitting themselves to King Jesus, following him in obedience, they become right. They are made right before God because not of their works, but of the work of Jesus Christ for them. On the cross, through his resurrection. The bad fish here refers to those who do not believe. And again, do not be confused about this. We are all bad. Amen? We are all sinners, the Bible says. This is not a, a matter of that. This is referring to those who have refused the good news of the gospel. This is a picture of those who are rejecting Jesus. They're refusing to acknowledge their sin, refusing to humble themselves, refusing to repent, refusing to believe, refusing to follow Jesus, and therefore they are still in their sins at the time of this harvest, this net. So though believers and non-believers coexist together in the kingdom right now, there's coming a day when they will be separated, Jesus says, when a mighty, all-powerful God will send his angels. It will be similar to this, a large, a powerful net. They will sweep over the old, whole earth. Not one person will be missed. No one will escape. And the phrase every kind in verse 47 refers to, I think, race or tribe, men from every race, every tribe across the earth. Every person's going to be swept up by the angels at the end of the age. And the focus of this parable, in addition to the, the weeds, the parable of the weeds, is what happens to the non-believers. The stakes could not be higher in this. Some of the most frightening, terrifying words. Jesus says the angels will come out, verse 49, and separate the evil from the righteous, verse 50, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If there's any doctrine in the Bible that you wish weren't there, it would probably be this one, the doctrine of hell. These are terrifying words from our Lord. A fiery furnace? That, that place is referred to throughout Scripture, several places. I, I think of Revelation chapter 20 about the great white throne judgment of God where it says that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's described not as an annihilation or as an ending, uh, as though one would cease to exist when they enter, but it, Jesus says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth over and over again. The fiery furnace is not going to end, it says. It's an ongoing suffering, an ongoing separation, an eternal separation from God forever and ever, an eternal separation from loved ones in, in Christ. Hell is not going to be a party. It will be a lonely place. 
It will be a place of never-ending rejection and regret. That's what's described here. Jesus was a preacher of hell. He warned about hell many times. In fact, he spoke more of hell than anybody else in the, in the Bible. He spoke more about it than he did heaven. And one commentator, I think, made a great observation here that if Jesus hadn't talked about hell, we probably wouldn't believe it if someone else taught us about it. And so it had to be our Lord who said this, or we would have never been able to believe it or accept it. Jesus preached about hell. He warned of hell. And he warned of hell so much. Make no mistake about this. He didn't want anyone to go there. And the fact that Jesus repeats this warning twice in Matthew 13 with the parable of the weeds and the parable of the, of the net, I think demonstrates his incredible compassion. It would be unloving to never warn anyone about this place. It would be unloving to never say anything about this coming judgment. It's to pretend like it's not going to happen. No, this is revealing Jesus' compassion and love pleading with unbelievers to believe over and over again, pleading with people to repent and believe, pleading with people not to take their sin lightly because there would be an accounting, there would be a judgment before God. Matthew chapter 9, another example of this, Jesus saw the harvest, I think, moving toward judgment, and it says that he had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. He was compassionate enough to call them. And here in the parables, we find Jesus doing the same thing. He's issuing a, a warning and an invitation. You say, well, how do you avoid hell? Well, the only way you can avoid hell is by receiving Christ into your life. It's, it's the only way. If, if you don't appropriate the kingdom, uh, think about the parables. If you don't receive the seed, like fertile soil, if you don't take the treasure like the man did, if you don't purchase the pearl of great price, there is no salvation for you. You, you have to turn to God and be saved. I realize that's a heavy message for Mother's Day, but it's really the most important message of any day, isn't it? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved from this judgment. That, that is the most important application of this parable to our unbelieving listeners today. Believe. Repent and believe the gospel for salvation. And for those of us who are believing, I think there are a couple of other applications, appropriate responses kind of flowing out of this. Uh, a couple for today I want you to think about. First of all, this parable I think should lead us to worship to worship God. As I think about the, how the parables connects, connects to the parables that we've previously studied, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value, it seems to me that Jesus wants his disciples to understand the value of what they are receiving as recipients of the kingdom. The, the, the enormous value, the precious treasure of their salvation we, we talked uh, last week about these, the two men, each of them, who discovered a treasure of infinite worth. Uh, you could even say that the treasure found them. 
When it did, they made a decision to sell everything in order to to gain this treasure. That is because Christ is a worthy Savior, saving us from the wrath of God, saving us from hell, and, and giving us eternal life. Their response could certainly be described as worship because worship is giving worth to the one who deserves it all. Giving worth to the one who saves you. It's redirecting your affections and your time and your treasures toward the one who deserves it, to the one who is worthy of such worship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. I was thinking about, the, again, the value of the treasure and the pearl. How can you tell if something is expensive or not? How can you tell if something is valuable or not? If something, I told you that something costs $500. If I just said something, this something costs $500, would you say that is expensive? You'd probably say, it depends on what it is. Now, if it's a screwdriver, you'd say, now that's really overpriced. But if it was a Corvette, you'd say, that's a steal. Wait, 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 wait just a minute. Let me go and get the money. Uh, it depends on, on, on what it is. Jesus says the kingdom of God will cost you everything that you have. That's the picture in these parables. Is that expensive? He would also say later, for, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What kind of cost do you put on not going to hell? Or or even better, what kind of cost do you put on going to heaven and being with God for all of eternity? How valuable is that? Christian, do you recognize the significance of what Christ has done for you this morning? Do you understand that he's not just an add-on to your life? He's not just a little religion that you've gained into your life. No, what Jesus has done for you is what you could not do for yourself. You were a sinner. You were on the path to damnation, but Christ took your place on the cross, paid for your sins, all of them, declared you righteous before God. You and I, we would not have a chance. He declares us righteous before God, gives us righteousness. God finds us. His mercy has saved us. The the prophet, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah said, we're like a branch that has been plucked out of the fire at the last moment. He saved us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. How precious is it to think on these things? How could this gospel, this good news, not be on our minds each and every day? And how could this truth alone of what Christ has done, how could it not lead us to surrender ourselves to Jesus gladly, joyfully, in worship and service to him for all of eternity? Is that expensive? (laughs) This parable should not scare us at all personally if we are receiving Christ. There is absolutely nothing to fear about this parable. The angels will most certainly come and escort us to the Father's side. I can't think of anything more comforting to happen in my life than that. In that moment, There won't be. But the hard part is believing this now. It's keeping this 
this perspective in, in the picture of now, it's believing it enough so that I'm living every day worshiping and serving my great God. And, and so my prayers is, is help us, God, to see and know and respond to this good news. Help us to feel the weight of, of what you've done for us in a positive way that it would, it would lead to rejoicing in, in the world that is constantly vying for our attentions and our affections and our devotions and our worship, constantly putting it. So help us to see these eternal truths and be changed by them. Another way we should respond to Jesus' words is, is to witness of them. In light of the, the coming judgment that the dragnet teaches, we're, we're, we're to be out sharing the good news of others with others and calling people to follow Christ. I think this is at least part of the message of Jesus' words there in verses 51 and 52 when he turns to his disciples. He asks, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. It, it seems to me to be a call to share what they have learned. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is, if we truly believe these things about eternity, about Jesus' words, about hell, about the coming judgment, about heaven, how could we not share this news? This news? What could be more important, church, or greater in the scope of our ministry and our testimony and our outreach than to share this? How will anyone escape if we don't point them to Christ, and how will they turn to Christ if we don't tell them about him? This is so unpopular today, I know. We've been told for years, over and over again, your religion is something that you need to keep to yourself. It's good that you're here today, but when you leave, don't tell anybody that you were here. Don't tell anybody about what was said today. You, you keep your faith. You shouldn't tell anybody about your faith. And, and the old saying, just preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words, Right? But, but we're convinced that we never have to use words. Just be a good neighbor. Be nice. Don't tell anybody about your faith. I felt the pressure even in preparing this message. This week I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing preaching on hell on Mother's Day? I'm a lunatic, I guess. But then I thought, when is it ever popular to talk about these things? Our world has so domesticated Christianity that it's not very popular to preach about the holiness of God or, or the atonement through the blood of Jesus Christ or his hatred for sin or the punishment of hell. When is it ever in style to talk about these things? And I read stuff and it says, surely if you want to grow your church, you should never talk about these things. If, if you want to grow the church, you should leave out the controversial. You should leave out the critical. You should speak minimally, if any, about these things. And, and, and really, you should just try to be hopeful. People want to hear comforting messages. They want to be told everything is okay and that we're all doing great. And please don't challenge. This is how you grow a, trial, a crowd. But then I think to myself, false comfort damns people to judgment, doesn't it? I... I we, we need to, to wake up to these truths 
and to tell people the truth. I, the, the most loving thing that you could do for anyone is tell them the truth of the gospel. And we're told that's not true. You just need to be a neighbor, a good neighbor. No. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Because we want people to know this. We want people to know that there is a God who created them, whom they will one day give an accounting to. And because we are all sinners, we need to be concerned about this accounting. It should be of great concern of us. But the good news is, God has sent His Son Jesus to save us, and those who repent and look to Him in faith will be saved. That may be unpopular, uh, but it is the glorious message of the gospel, church. And it's the only message that leads to salvation. It seems to me these parables create in that sense of urgency that now is the time to sow the seed of the good news of Jesus. Now is the time to be like that leaven in the dough that is working, being influencing people around you for the gospel of Jesus. We choose as a church to affiliate with the Kentucky Baptist Convention of Churches. And they've asked us uh, this year to participate in a project called The Gospel to Every Home. And we have uh, committed as a church to knock on the doors of 2,021 homes this year. I don't know where we got that number at, but it sounded good. And to, to share with them the good news of the gospel, we're getting a little bit late start because of COVID. Uh, but beginning on Sunday afternoon, June the 6th, there's some information about this in your bulletin, uh, we'll be sending out some folks, some teams into our local neighborhoods. We have some assigned neighborhoods. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll meet for a little, a brief training session, and then we'll go out in groups of two or three and head out and knock on some doors and just uh, deliver to the folks in our community uh, uh, some information about the good news of the gospel. I hope that you'll pray about participating in that. And, and if you're not physically able to do that, I hope that you will be praying as people uh, go out. Because as followers of Christ, we are called to witness of our Savior. The greatest thing you can do for your children, moms, is to worship God and witness of His Son, Jesus Christ, to your kids. Give them the gospel. Point them to Jesus Christ to be a witness of them. Think of all the times in the Bible we see the influence of mothers on their children in profound ways, from Moses' mom, Jochebed, to Samuel's mom, Hannah, to Timothy's mom, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. And I've heard so many people say, give their testimony of years, and they'll say, you know, if it wasn't for my praying mom or my godly grandmother, I just don't think I would be here today. Anybody say amen to that? So important. But think about the lost people around, around you, at your work, at your school, on your team. Why not? Be looking for opportunities to love them, to pray for them, to share with them uh, the good news of the gospel. And we do so not in ugly ways, but in love, with compassion and concern. And we do it with urgency, though, because of passages like these, which tell us that this season of being able to sow is coming to an end. I don't know when it comes to an end, but there's a time coming when the 
the Lord will have his angels cast this net. And in that moment, the time for sowing will be over with. This is speaking of the coming judgment of God. No one will escape. Everyone will be brought to God. And the most important question this morning is when that time comes, which category are you going to be in? When that time comes, you won't have an opportunity. But today you have opportunity. Will you be among the wheat or the weeds? Will you be among the good fish or the bad? Will you be among the saved or the lost? Make, make no mistake, there will come a time when it will be too late to respond. And an angel, and these are, this is just from the text, not manipulating you, not, this, is not, this is just what the Word says. An angel will come, he will take you by the hand, he will escort you into the presence of God. And others will be escorted to an everlasting eternity apart from God where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Will you look back on this day with regret and say, some crazy preacher told me about this on Mother's Day one time. I wish I had responded to the good news then. You can today. Why not turn from your sins and surrender yourself to the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the only one who can save you. As we sing this uh, last song this morning, I would, I'll be down front and ready to pray with you about your decision. Father, thank you. For the clarity of your word, let us not be fooled. But let us hear this. Give us ears to hear, Lord. And may it transform our lives, even now as we worship you for the great Savior that you are, for all that you've done to us. And then, Lord, help us to open our lips, not just to sing, but to share, to tell others about Christ. And then our greatest prayer today is if there is someone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would save them, Lord. Give them the courage to come and make their faith known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.